0: It's June 9th, 2021, and welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe here on Hawaii Public Radio. And of course, uh, we're here to serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, we'll have Jackie Hoover from the Hawaii Island Economic Development Board. And she's here to tell us about an upcoming event called... Telescopes, windmills, and the military aside, why are Native Hawaiians really protesting? And of course, then uh, we'll be joined by Sylvia Mann from the Department of Health, Stacey Aldridge from the Public Libraries, and Christina Higa from the PBTRC, and we'll go into explaining what that is. And of course, they're here to tell us about a unique collaboration to offer telehealth over at the Public Libraries. And right now, I want to welcome Jackie Hoover from Hawaii Island. And uh, she is part of the economic development board there. I think she's uh, probably like a uh, a one one woman shop there, <laughs> but uh, she's holding down the fort for economic development on the Big Island. And she's here to tell us about this webinar coming up called Telescopes, Windmills, and the Military Aside: Why Are Native Hawaiians Really Protesting? Welcome to the show, Jackie. Thanks for having
1: me, Bert, and thanks for showcasing our upcoming conversation.
0: Now, you know, this, uh, this title was very captivating. It was very provocative. I mean, you know, telescopes, windmills, military, that sort of, like, caught my attention. And, and of course, you've been in the middle of economic development, and, you know, these are, are potential economic uh, drivers. But, yeah, so tell us, what is this w- webinar about, and why are Native Hawaiians really pro- protesting?
1: So, we started a series called Native Hawaiian Perspectives, which is a series of conversations that we've undertaken to really get to the multiple perspectives that are out in our community. Mm -hmm. I think um, we started recognizing, especially with this upcoming discussion, that it's too easy to grab onto the sound bites and the low-hanging fruit, and too many of our community our neighbors believe that Hawaiians are protesting windmills, military, and telescopes. And in fact, there's so much more to the discussion than that. And you know, in our Hawaiian language, in English, we talk about a dub- double entendre, two interpretations of the same word or phrase. Mm-hmm. And in Hawaiian language, we have multiple interpretations. So with that in mind, you know, we wanted to give multiple perspectives on these different topics, and the topics we choose are, in fact, hard topics to have discussions about. Our first two topics were on navigating science and culture post-pandemic, and the next was can science and culture coexist on Mauna Kea? Difficult conversations to have, but important conversations to have, and when someone asked me why... Um, it's important for us to present these different perspectives. I remind them that just like in this pandemic that we're experiencing right now, we're all experiencing it simultaneously, but each one of us is experiencing it as an individual. So the experience is very personal and not the same. So too with perspectives um, so and the conversations we have. Um, with respect to economic development, too often people forget that the most important component in economic development is the human factor. We as individuals, as people, we individually and collectively develop an economy. So we try very hard to keep that people perspective, that people component engaged. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, myself being Native Hawaiian, Um, it was important for me that we get these Native Hawaiian perspectives um, out in the community. And we have a talk story session. So I remember growing up where, you know, the adults would gather in somebody's garage or living room and they'd be having conversation. And um, as a child, of course, I would be listening but not participating in the conversation. But hearing those different perspectives growing up I think really helps determine who we become as adults because we're able to listen to and synthesize those perspectives. Um, so that's really what the background is behind these perspective conversations.
0: So, so Jackie, th- that's great. And, and is the intent then to just get the perspectives out there, get people to hear what some of the you know, different uh, points of view are and, and perhaps uh, uh, catalyze a conversation?
1: Exactly. That's exactly what we're trying to do. We're not trying to change anybody's mind. We're just trying to get people to hear different perspectives and reflect on their own perspectives. And, you know, I've learned so much uh, from the two webinars that we've had to date and things that I say, oh, I never considered it that way or I haven't looked at it through that particular lens. And that's really what we're trying to do is just get people to have the conversations, engage in conversation, feel free to share their perspectives Mm -hmm. and to also recognize that we can have different perspectives, experience the same thing. And different perspective doesn't mean wrong. Mm -hmm. Different just means different.
0: That's great. So, so Jackie, um, I do want to give you a chance to tell us where can people go to join this conversation.
1: If they go online, they will find the previous conversations on HIEDDs. That's Hawaii Island Economic Development Board's acronym, mm-hmm. HIEDB, YouTube, and um, they are also welcome to go to hiedb dot and that also provides them with links to get to these conversations and to see the conversations which are all recorded and shared via
0: YouTube. And this one, the next one is coming up on the 17th, right? That's uh, that's like uh, Thursday, not, uh, next Thursday. Next Thursday
1: at high noon, and the webinars are scheduled each month from noon to 1 p.m. It gives viewers a chance to log in during their lunch hour, and we are very strict to keep to the hour so that Everyone is able to enjoy it, but we recognize and respect each other's time.
0: That's great. That's great. So, we'll put that up on our show notes for later on tonight. And, of course, uh, mahalo, Jackie, for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Bert. And mahalo to everyone for joining us and for participating in our perspectives. Thank Take you. Care.
0: And, of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Sylvia Mann from the Department of Health, Stacey Eldridge from the Public Libraries, and Christina Higa from PBTRC. And, of course, we'll be talking about telehealth in the libraries. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
2: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii.
0: Welcome back to Bike Marks Cafe right here on Hawaii Public Radio. I am happy to welcome Sylvia Mann. She's a supervisor in the genomics section over at the Department of Health and Stacy Aldridge, head librarian over at the uh, state public libraries. And, of course, Christina Higa, who's the co-director over at the uh, P- Pacific Basin Telehealth Resource Center. And I think mm-hmm. I got that right <laughs> this time. And, of course, they're here to share some of the insights into a unique collaboration where telehealth service can be offered from the library, so I'm very interested in hearing about that. And I want to welcome you all to Bike Marks Cafe.
3: Aloha, Bert. Thanks. Thank you for having
0: Hello, us. Thanks, Yeah. Thank you, Bert. <laughs> yeah, thank she, you, Bert. Aloha. <laughs> you know, it's great to have you all on, and and um, I know you folks have a a wealth of information to share. And uh, maybe maybe what I'll do since this is a you know an interesting project because. The idea of of telehealth, you know, we've we've covered telehealth uh, on on various shows, and of course we've had Stacy come on and talk about you know different things happening at the library, but we've never really talked about the both both telehealth and the libraries somehow intersecting. So uh, I I do want to hear the genesis of that that uh, intersection, and maybe I'll start with Sylvia and and Sylvia, so. How did how did that intersection really start to take shape? I mean, uh, was it a aha moment some sometime you know during this uh, pandemic, or how did how did you start to really think about you know the intersection between telehealth and the libraries?
4: So um, when the pandemic started, I got recruited into helping Christina because in my program we had been working on increasing the use of telehealth for genetic services um, for many, many years. And uh, so we had a lot of expertise in the subject, and we had a lot of different areas in Hawaii, of course, that need to get up and running on telehealth very quickly. And so I worked with Christina on getting uh, providers up on telehealth, creating family resources so families could understand how to use telehealth because previous to the pandemic, we really weren't concentrating on families getting the services in their home. We were concentrating on families going to some clinic on the neighbor island where someone set it up for them and they just do the telehealth session. So that was a challenge. Then we started thinking about all the people who didn't have access didn't have access to connections. didn't have access to devices, didn't have the knowledge on how to set up a telehealth appointment for themselves. And we were trying to think of what kind of public area would we be able to use? And of course, then one day it dawned on me and Christina says, I sent her an email at 2 AM um, <laughs> saying libraries, libraries, <laughs> libraries are public spaces we can use. And, um, so that's how the idea was born, but we really didn't get to connect with Stacy until we started working on the in the broadband hui with you and being connected to all these different people in the state. And then I really got personally connected to Stacy when we started the digital equity activities, and I volunteered to help on that work group that Stacy leads and got to know her. And that's how all the pieces kind of together for the idea and Stacy was very supportive we said you know what we really libraries would be the place because people access libraries <laughs> and she said yes they do.
0: Well that's a that's a great story and I'm glad you got to tell it the, in the way that you just did. Now I, I did cue into one word that you used on how uh, you got involved which was uh, recruited and and of course Christina is, is a professional at recruiting people so Christina, how did that how did that happen? I mean, did you, you know, there's Sylvia. She's working away, toiling away at her job in in genomics, and then <laughs> you're thinking, oh man, I got to get her. You know, I got to get her working on this because, Christina, I know that <laughs> that um, you know, of course, you've you've been a champion for telehealth for a, for a good good number of years, and uh, has have always thought about ways of extending the network, you know, into the community. Mm-hmm. But uh, how did yeah. you kind of you know, twist Sylvia's arm to get involved with this?
2: Yeah, no, actually, um, the reality is that Sylvia has been involved in telehealth. Probably, I would say, in the state, she's she's probably one of those forefront people who have been doing telehealth before anybody else. So um, she and I have been working in trying to advance telehealth before the pandemic for years. So when the pandemic hit, it was a natural connection, and, you know, we were working day and night, weekends, just to get the information out. Information was changing daily, and, um, yeah, we were just a really good partnership. I, I still, you know, it's part of my mission as the Pacific Basin Telehealth Resource Center to advance telehealth. That's what we do, but I was so thankful to have someone so visionary like like Sylvia and so knowledgeable of telehealth because it is part of her Roles, telegenetics. You know, she also actually runs the national telegenetics working group um, as well. So she has a lot of different roles in telehealth. Um, just, just really lucky. And then the fact that um, there was this really difficult problem to solve, right? Getting access as well as training. And Stacy came into the picture, and she's just another amazing uh, visionary person that really. That, it up to the challenge and and added so much to this
0: project no that and, and you know i i do want to get to stacy because you're you're absolutely right she is one of our key visionary resources here in the state of hawaii uh but before we go to stacy i want to i want to get the um sort of the inside scoop on 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 sylvia and sylvia what is tele telegenetics i mean what what tell me what what exactly is that
4: so telegenetics is basically getting genetic services using telehealth. And the reason why we are so invested in it, uh, first we were invested in Hawaii because our neighbor island families, uh, we do outreach clinics, but only we do one neighbor island a month. And so sometimes it can take a long time to get genetic services. We don't have many genetics people um, in the country or in, in our state. And so we had tried telehealth in way back in 2003, uh, using very expensive Polycom equipment that was $13,000 a unit. Mm-hmm. Christina's group was trying to help us connect through the satellite that that Senator Inouye had gotten us, <laughs> you right. know, when it was retired. It was. It was a disaster. But um, <laughs> Don't tell that to families, Christina. It It didn't matter that our connection would drop all the time. The families were just so grateful to get the specialty services without having to fly to Honolulu mm-hmm. that they kept rating even that terrible service really, really good. They were so satisfied. But we had to put things on hold because it just was not to the quality we wanted. And then we restarted again about a decade later. When we started being able to use things like Zoom, uh, your own desktop, your webcam that's $35, things like that, Mm -hmm. which made it affordable. So we set up uh, equipment on each of the neighbor islands at our district health office, and we started doing telegenetics to the neighbor island families. And it was very helpful because 20% of the families that we saw using telehealth told us that they would not have sought genetic services for their child. If they had to come to Honolulu mm-hmm. or go to even our in-person neighbor island clinic, because sometimes it's really hard um, if we schedule one clinic and it's only that one clinic every six months, they can't take off time off work and things like that. Then what happened is um, I'm also project director for one of the federally funded regional genetics network. So I cover the entire Western state. So it's Alaska, Washington, Idaho, Oregon, California, Hawaii and Guam. And our state partners said, you know, to improve access to genetic services, we really need to invest in telehealth. And so that's one of the other reasons why we're so invested in telehealth and telehealth training for genetics providers, because that was the only way that we could get genetic services from um, few providers to many people who need services so
0: so, so Sylvia, for a, for a, a, a you know, novice person like me, I mean, what is genetic services? What exactly is that? I mean, you know it's not like uh, uh, going and get getting your 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 DNA readout, is it I mean what what is genetic services
4: so um, it's different for different people, so mainly for us in Hawaii, we see pediatric cases, so they're children. So there, um, children. Uh, we evaluate children that possibly could have genetic disease and figure out um, if they do have a genetic disorder, and then what the treatment and management would be over time. And of course, with genetic disorders, the one thing is that you're born with it; it's in your genes, mm-hmm. and, and you can't like cure it and get rid of it and get you know just it's not like a cold or anything. So it's a little more complicated because. It's lifelong. The other part is because it's genetic, that means that a lot of these disorders are passed on in a family. So we have families that have many members with the same genetic disorder. We also have growing um, specialties in genetics. So um, cancer has inherited cancers. So um, families that are at risk for certain cancers, we would do genetic testing to see if they carry the gene for the cancer, and then we would start early preventive measures so that they don't get cancer. We have um, uh, uh, cardiology genetics now where we are screening for certain heart diseases that we can then put preventive measures in. So what we're trying to do, especially in public health, is how do you use that information to prevent disease mm-hmm. before it happens? Ah. Um, yeah, because that's how you you know then it's less expensive if you prevent it than have to treat it.
0: <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. And so, you know, you have also been very instrumental in in raising some funds to make this happen in terms of the the this uh, de- developing relationship between telehealth and and the library. So, uh, I do want to give you a chance to talk about the uh, the grant that you were able to get. And and of course uh, how that how that ultimately ties in with the uh, the library. So we'll go ahead and hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Sylvia Mann from the Department of Health, Stacy Aldridge from the Public Libraries, and Christina Higa from the PBTRC. And of course, we're talking about telehealth in rural communities. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
2: Support for Bike Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training.
0: Welcome back. This is Bike Marks Cafe here on Hawaii Public Radio. And of course, I'm Bert Lum. And if you're just joining us, we're talking to Sylvia Mann from the genomics section over in the Department of Health. Stacey Aldridge, head librarian over at the Public Libraries, and Christina Higa from the PBTRC. And right before the break, we're talking to Sylvia about uh, genomics and, uh, you know, the telehealth and how genomics, uh, I guess, genetic services are provided over the telehealth uh, network and, and how now the the libraries are kind of tied in and and before, of course, I know Stacy is, is patiently waiting because <laughs> I do want to get Stacey uh, to tell her side of the story. But uh, Sylvia, real quickly, I mean, you were able to get some, some funding, right, for uh, getting this, this sort of project off the ground. And obviously, you know, you, you can't work on, on deploying people and services without some form of funding. So uh, where's the primary funding source for this?
4: So we're very lucky in that from the uh, Rescue uh, Plan Act, mm-hmm. uh, funds came through different federal agencies to the state. And one of the streams of money came from the Centers from Disease, for Disease Control and Prevention to the state for um, helping underserved populations overcome health care disparities due to the pandemic and COVID-19. And so we had been looking for money for this libraries project for a long time. The difficulty is most money only pays for equipment, and we know that the equipment doesn't run itself. Right. So we really needed money to pay for the staffing. And when this money came down, the department said, uh, anybody have ideas on things that could help underserved populations, um, in their healthcare disparities, and they said, I have this libraries project we've been trying to fund. And uh, luckily for me, the department said, that is a great idea. And um, we would love to work with the libraries and we will put some of our money that we have towards this effort to fund the libraries for this project and also fund the staffing. So um, the win-win part is the staffing is going to be mostly um, high school and undergraduate and, and some graduate students that can um, make money helping us but also help work in the library to help navigate um, the patrons that go to the library.
0: Oh, that's that's terrific. So, Stacy, thank you for patiently waiting. Uh, you know, this is a great opportunity that uh, you're... Yeah, you've always been at the leading edge of of looking at ways that the libraries could better serve the community, and and this is a an obvious one. And I know I know this is a an idea that has been floating around. And so how did how did uh, Stacy how did you get uh, uh get reconnected with um, Sylvia and Christina, and you know help to bring the right sort of not only geographic locations, but the, you know, the facility to this particular project.
3: Well, I think, Bert, we have to thank you for bringing us all together. (laughs) Um, As um, (laughs) Christine and Sylvia said, we um, all met through the Broadband Hui and through working on digital literacy and listening to each other and listening to all the work that each of us is trying to do in supporting our communities. And as they were saying earlier, the pandemic really showed us how many people didn't have access and not only do people not have access but they might have even the skill sets to um, to use telehealth or to figure out how to find resources that relate to telehealth so all part of digital literacy so for libraries we've we're we're hubs in every community we have connectivity we have um, we have devices we have computers and um, Chromebooks and um, we have these great places that people already come and so and talking with um, Christine and Sylvia, thinking about what could we do to partner to help our communities get more familiar with um, health online resources and navigating um, using telehealth or just navigating finding information. Because some you just need some basic digital literacy skills to just even use telehealth. So um, the real goal of this project is to um, have an organized approach where we can have um, digital um, navigators and health navigators in each of our libraries and in a few libraries across the state that we've identified as areas of, of need to start and have them be available for people who um, want to to have a telehealth or need to have a telehealth appointment. They could come into a library we could set aside a Chromebook and then they would have somebody who could help them through that process. or The person may just be there to help them use some basic digital literacy skills to get into information that they need to that relates to their health. So many things now are online. I know when I signed up for my COVID shot, I had to go online and register for a vaccination, and then I had to follow up through my emails. Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. a a lot of things that people have to learn so these health navigators can help people begin to build the skill set with a particular angle towards health care, but... Those skills will transfer um, as they move into other things that they want to do in their life, as it relates to education or, or work. But this one's really focused on healthcare, and we're really excited to be working with um, with Christine and Sylvia um, to to make this happen for our
0: community. So, so uh, Stacy, are you planning to, uh, or maybe collectively, are you folks going to pilot this somewhere? Are you going to start with uh, a, a few libraries, or are you going to Come up with a program that starts to get every library equipped with telehealth services. I, I'll give that to um, you, Stacy. How are you gonna How are you gonna roll this out?
3: <laughs> we're We're actually gonna pilot it in a few um, areas that we've identified as more rural, um, where assistance might be um, really needed. And so we'll roll it out in about I think it's about fifteen. Is that right, Sylvia? Fifteen communities um, across yeah, 15. the state. Okay,
0: so you know we only got about uh, uh, thirty seconds left. So, uh, you know, how long is this going to take? I mean, where can when can we expect to see services actually start to roll out, Sylvia?
4: I think we'll have it definitely before the end
0: of the year. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and Stacy, I mean, which are the top of mind libraries that might be receiving this?
3: Oh gosh, you know, I should have those on the top of my head, shouldn't I? Um. I think we're thinking of you know, our, our really remote uh, libraries on um, Naalehu. I think um Pahoa is in there <laughs> um on the big island. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so those oh. are the two that are, you know, top of mind. Well that's um, great just because they are yeah, so we're, we're doing a pilot for Naalehu with Dr. Asky a clinician who's helping us do the work. Well
0: work, that's that's, that's protocol. Again, that's yeah. terrific. And uh you know, we'll definitely mm-hmm. wanna keep track of this project because as it rolls out uh, I think it's you know, exciting and, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on. End of the year, we'll be probably having you guys back on and talking about how this is rolling out. Sylvia Mann is a supervisor over at Genomics Section over at the Department of Health. Stacey Aldridge, Head Librarian over at the State Public Libraries. And of course, Christina Higa from the PBTRC. And I want to thank them all for joining us today. Thank you for listening to Bite Marsh Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about the true initiative and the digital economy. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter, I'm at BiteMarks. Our engineer is David Chung, And catch you, you can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, Google, Podcasts, and Stitcher. You stay safe, stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.